This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you had a chance to listen to my last episode on uh, pursuing passion in a capitalist world and why it's important to sort of reclaim passion as something that is really just for you. And yeah, you could choose to share it with the world if you want, but recognize the drawbacks that come with that. Uh, that episode has resonated with a lot of people who listen to it. One of them is a listener of the show, Tori. So I want to just quickly share a message that I received from her. Quote, I started a cookie company a few years ago and struggled with trying to monetize it. My love became a to-do list and I burned out. I don't bake much anymore because of it. I now have a lot of sensitivity into keeping things I love as simply things I love. So first of all, thank you so much to Tori for sending that in. Uh, But I just wanted to share that because it really highlights what I was trying to say in that episode. The things you love can very quickly become things that you despise or things that you just don't really do anymore the minute you try to offer it at the altar of the marketplace. But I just wanted to share this message because it's so easily wrapped up what I was trying to to say in my last episode. So thank you to her. And if you ever want to share your thoughts on an episode, you can message me on Facebook or Instagram or email me or pretty much anything. Like just find me somewhere and send me a message. I'm paying attention to all of it. All right, let's get into the episode. So today I want to talk about uh, universal health insurance, also known as universal health care. I like to sometimes refer to it as publicly funded health insurance. Uh, But the general idea is a health insurance system that is funded by the public through higher taxes and that uh, provides a sort of baseline layer of support for everyone in that country. Now, we've seen this uh, This happens in a number of countries around the world, uh, but the UK is a commonly used example. France is another example that's commonly used, um, sort of like the Nordic, like Denmark kind of system is, is often cited as well. And this is a debate that has been, I would say, raging since like 2016, since the um, election of 2016, when Bernie Sanders first announced and gained a ton of attention, largely for a sort of like Medicare for all kind of system. That is this sort of universal health insurance. Things are changing rapidly, like really, really fast. And what I'm starting to see is a the potential for a systematic breakdown of our current systems because they are really not equipped for the kind of drastic change that we are about 
to see happen, especially when it comes to the labor force. Let's start here. Let's talk about what exactly is universal health insurance. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So like I said before, universal health insurance is the idea that uh, the health insurance that each individual citizen utilizes in order to pay for their health care, whatever those costs might be. Maybe it's a surgery, maybe it's just a checkup, maybe it's a specialist, whatever it is. The, um, The cost of that goes through a single system. So let's get into kind of the benefits and the drawbacks of a universal system. So the the biggest benefits of a single payer system, in my opinion, are one, the ability to take bigger risks. So one of the things that this is this is, you know, my personal experience, but having many conversations with people in this country, like it sounds to me like this is a lot of people's uh, personal experiences. But one of the things that the United States prides itself on is the idea of entrepreneurship, like the idea that you can have a great idea uh, uh, work really hard at it, put it out into the world, find a market for it, and make yourself wealthy independently of anything else. You can you can go through and make that happen. And we've seen that story play out over and over and over again. One of the things that makes this complicated to actually like follow through on for this country to actually be able to deliver on is the fact that if you leave your job and if you are over the age of 26, you do not have access to health insurance. Now, you can pay for it. I guess I shouldn't use the word access. Technically, you have access. It's available for you to purchase. But for the most part, it's incredibly expensive, especially if you live in an area that has high coverage and and so your rates are just going to go up. Um, But it's going to be expensive. And especially in those sort of early days of entrepreneurship, it doesn't really make sense to pay for it, especially if you're younger. If you're in your like 20s, let's say you're 27, 28, 29, even your your younger 30s and, and late 30s, it often doesn't make sense for you to pay for health insurance. If you're trying to do your own thing, you don't have a job currently, and um, you aren't really going to be using it. That also doesn't include when you have people that are going to need it, let's say 40s, 50s, who do have a great idea, they've got family, they can't really take the risk to pursue that great idea. They can't jump ship from their job and give up that health insurance because 
very likely their entire family is reliant on that health insurance. Their entire family is being covered by that health insurance. Whether they, they have a partner or kids or whatever it is, them choosing to pursue what could be a great idea and take that risk means kicking their entire family off of health insurance. And yes, they can go through different programs like COBRA and so on and so forth, but that's temporary. Now, here's the thing. All of this is possible. These are choices that people can make. But if we look at it statistically, fewer people are going to take the risk of entrepreneurship and are going to take the risk of pursuing something if these risks exist, if these like barriers exist to pursuing what could be a great transformative idea. One of the biggest fears that I had when I started this podcast and decided to go full time on it, I spent years with like anxiety because I knew like I, I didn't have health insurance. I chose to take that risk and I couldn't really afford it because I was I was working for myself. I was trying to build this thing up. If I had gotten hit by a car, I'm screwed. That's not really something you can plan for. That's the other like huge benefit of a single payer system here is that your healthcare needs aren't always things you can schedule and plan for. And so you can't necessarily sit down and look at like, oh, this is when I'm going to need it. So I'm going to defer paying for it until this moment. S anything could happen in between now and that moment that you plan for. And more than likely, things will happen. That is just the, the name of the game that we're all playing. So when you have this kind of system where the only way you can get health insurance is by going through your company and paying for it, or, or well, you're still paying for it through the company, but going through your company um, or buying it directly on a marketplace, especially when you're younger and you feel like, eh, not really going to use it, you're taking this massive risk that could end up really, really badly for you if you happen to get diagnosed with something really serious or if you happen to get into an accident or any of these other things that you can't plan for. And then there's two last sort of like drawbacks that I really want to highlight. The first is that when you have a socially funded, a publicly funded health insurance system, you actually increase your sense of connection and community to the other people in this country because it increases the sense of like, hey, I got your back. Like I'm paying a little bit more in taxes so that there is money available if you happen to need it. That's the sense that you're able to communicate when you have a system where everyone is taking care of each other, rather than a system where each individual person is going to a company and saying, hey, I'm going to give you this amount of money, cover me if something happens. Now we're just thinking about us. We, of course, can't care about our neighbor or what happens to them and whether or not they're going to have coverage because we can only pay for ourselves. But if we had a system where each person paid slightly more rather than needing to cover the cost of everyone they care about, they can just pay slightly more into a system that is going to be used more efficiently simply because they don't have administrative costs as, or at least as high of administrative costs and so on and so forth. And they can utilize a number of tools to make sure that care gets sort of doled out to the people who need it the most when they need it. It can be a much more efficient system that creates a sense of community and connection with one another because we know that we're all doing our part to support one another. And the last benefit that I want to talk through is the fact that if you build a system that is publicly funded, that is, is funded by individuals, 
you gain more power in your negotiations with employers. Right now, if you get your insurance from your employer, they have the power to sort of use that over you in any conversations around your sort of uh, positions and like your future at the company because they ultimately are the ones providing you access to the ability to go to the doctor or to go to the dentist or whatever services you might need and very possibly the ability for your family to do those things as well they immediately have increased leverage over anything you can bring to the table by decoupling that and giving that responsibility to you by uh, through the way of higher taxes and so on and so forth you create an environment where you no longer have to worry about that piece and can bring more um, leverage and, and value to the table when you have those negotiations with your employer so those are the main benefits of a sort of like social uh, Medicare for all kind of system. But let's talk about some of the drawbacks. So for example, if we go down this route, taxes will go up. Like that is that is a, a fact. Uh, this isn't something that we're going to try to hide. This isn't something that we're going to like brush over. Your taxes will increase. The amount it increases is debatable. But in order to fund this system, you will need to pay more money each month from your taxes, or not each month, each each paycheck from your taxes. The other big thing is that you will have to pay for other people's health care. So this might go beyond just the people on your street. This might go beyond the people in your family. Maybe you're willing to pay a little bit more to support family members, to support friends, to support neighbors, but you couldn't care less about some teenager in Wisconsin. I, I understand. It feels really weird to say that your dollars, your money that you work really hard for is going to go towards supporting someone else who maybe didn't work as hard or maybe was lazy or, or whatever it is. I completely get that. But that is one of the like, if you view that as a negative, that is a drawback of this system. And I, I don't want to sugarcoat that. Now, the other big thing is that you are going to pay more immediately for things that you might not be using. If you're younger, if you're like under 40, let's say you probably have uh, less health issues. And that is going to mean that you're less likely to use this system right now. So it might feel really weird for you to consider the fact that you are not going to be using a system that you are actively paying into. And you may not want to do that. I get that. You might want to keep that money for yourself so you can use it for investments or going out or like supporting your family or, or whatever it is because you don't need the health insurance right now or you don't need to, to be supporting other people's health insurance. And then the other big thing that gets brought up is the, the idea that like wait times are going to go up because more people have access to any doctor they want. And so you're going to have more people going to your doctor, potentially. You're going to have more people using the emergency room, using the hospital, using the urgent care, any of these like services that we all sort of utilize right now. If everyone has access to it and is insured and they don't, they aren't sort of limited by like coverage area, then you potentially are going to have increases in wait time. And especially if you happen to be someone listening to this who is like ultra rich, who goes to like a super, super fancy place. In theory, if everyone gets access to that, then the value you got of being one of very few clients that disappears. 
Um, and that, that can be a negative. Like, I, I don't want to, to uh, make that like a small point. I don't want to make fun of that. Like, that can be a negative. What I think we need to, to, to really be considering here, regardless of benefits or drawbacks, regardless of where you live in this conversation, is why this is so important to be talking about. AI is already eliminating roles that we would have had whether it would have been in the form of like a freelancer or a gig worker or a full-time, like hard to say, but it's already taking roles that people would in theory be paid for away from them. In addition to that, it's only getting better and it's being adopted at organizations faster and faster and faster. Organizations have investors who are asking them what AI is doing for them. They are being pushed in the direction of utilizing AI, which is not inherently a bad thing, though there are ethical questions around um, how that should be done, but it is ultimately going to lead to less roles available than could be. In addition to that, there are other forces that are moving towards less roles. For example, there's been this like looming conversation around recession for like two years. One of the things that came out last month is that the Fed is pushing as part of their plan to reduce inflation. They are pushing for there to be 1.5 million fewer jobs in the United States, where 1.5 million Americans who are employed right now will not have a job they will be let go. This is part of the plan. This is the whole thing. It's not like, oh, unintended consequence. This is the plan. Have fewer people who have money in their pocket so that spending goes down and inflation goes down as a result. That's that's the plan. And when you have these forces driving fewer and fewer um, opportunities for people to earn a living, and most importantly for this conversation, be employed, you're ultimately going to have fewer and fewer people on health insurance. And that means more and more people are going to have issues that they don't get checked out. And those issues are going to grow and become worse. And not only will you have increases in death, but you're also going to have an increase in the bill that the public has to pay. Because at some point, many of these people will end up in the hospital. And when those bills don't get paid, it goes to somebody. So one of the things that we need to really consider here is purely from like a, a fiscal perspective. If we know that as time goes on, more and more jobs are going to be reduced. More and more people are going to lose their jobs. If we know this then are we okay not creating a system that can support that type of change while we still have the chance? That's the question that I think we need to really be asking. Because you listening to this might be part of the wave of people losing their jobs. I sincerely hope that you are not, but you might be. And if your family is currently relying on your health insurance, when you lose that job, what will you do? When you lose a job, you can always say, oh, I'll get another job. But what if you lose a job in an environment where everyone is losing their job, where companies are no longer hiring because those roles that could be hired for are now being given to artificial intelligence? 
What do you do then? I'm not going to sit here and tell you to vote or anything like that, because ultimately I think those things happen as a result of being bought into a system. And I think the best way to get you to feel the desire to go out and vote for a universal uh, health insurance system is to first get you excited about what that means and why it's important. So I have shared some links about why this is important, about where the job market is going. And I hope that you take the time to look through them. But ultimately, what needs to happen is we need to decide what kind of society we want to live in. <laughs>